All right, today our guest is Kevin uh, Hong. Um, Kevin, I first kind of met you or heard about you through uh, my colleagues who are really uh, involved with collegiate esports. Um, could you give us a quick background about uh, about yourself and what you are up to today? Hey guys, um, yeah, my name is Kevin Hong. Uh, I've been in collegiate esports for about seven years. I've um, actually known John, your name, since like when I was getting started in esports, when you were still at Team Ember, when you were building your the LCS team and stuff. And I, you know, I was like, wow, like this is, I was, it was, it's cool to kind of like circle back and talk to you about all this stuff now and how far like we've come since like seven years ago when we were kind of making up things. Um, but yeah, I was in collegiate esports for seven years. Um, I started at the University of Washington as like, a, I was a, I was a coach of the B team of the League of Legends team. And like, I got my start in esports through StarCraft 2, but mostly around League of Legends. I think League of Legends season two world's championship was what really cemented me to like pursue esports, like fully full send, like working in esports. And I got involved through collegiate esports, which, uh, which was, which was blooming, uh, blooming at that time too, in 2012, 2013 at, at the, a, a quick story on the university of Washington. Like we were the biggest gaming club. We actually were the biggest club on campus. We had about 10, 10% of the entire student body. Uh, we were getting kicked out of libraries and we weren't even allowed to play league of legends anywhere on campus, but we were the most, we had the highest representation of people. Uh, it was just very weird. Um, that we didn't feel validated for our hobbies or what we were doing for the student life. So, yeah, so I got started through through those uh, crazy days. And now it's crazy to think that there's like over 500 varsity esports programs in North America alone. Um, so it's been a long journey since getting kicked out of libraries to now like people are getting full ride to, uh, scholarships to play video games. Let me let me ask you a question before you come on to the next part of our journey, which is uh why like why do you think university of washington had the biggest gaming club like what is it about is it about the city seattle is it like what, what's why it was like it was a culmination of things it was really like league of legends really blew up during season two season three and then a lot of people were playing it it was free to play and like everyone had a laptop and everyone wanted a game together and Seattle is a very rainy city and everyone stayed indoors and people love gaming. And so um, it was just a natural evolution. And at that time, like LCS was born too. It's like the first like professional league for League of Legends, right? It was like, wow, like they're making it like, a, like sports where there's like weekend matches and stuff. So we kind of built our our class schedule around LCS and Worlds. Like, um, So I think that was like what really cemented it. Of all the 5,000 college students that were in our club like half of them were league players um so it was it made up a big amount of our community um one quick question uh, follow-up to that is eventually i think there was like some sponsorship or something like there's like an official uh university of washington like gaming center do you want to talk about that as well yeah so uh so what usually what happened was like as we grew our club um we started seeing in 2015, we saw the first ever varsity esports program called Robert Morris University. So they were like, they made big news in 2015. And right after uh, in 2016, University of California, Irvine launched their varsity esports program as well as the first public university in America in the, in the world to create an esports program. And then within four months, I was pitching to the UW to do the same thing because I was like, why does UCI get all the nice things? We have more gamers. We have just as competitive gamers. We, we were in the tech hub of like Valve, Nintendo, Microsoft, Amazon, Twitch. So it just made sense that we built our own. And then I was able to convince uh, the student life director and then the provost to build the esports program. So there's like a 40, there's like a 40 PC setup. In, in at the University of Washington today. And it was launched in 2018 after I pitched it in 2016. I was able to cut the ribbon too. That was crazy. No, my no, mom, that's, my that's, mom was there. <laughs> I'm, glad was crazy. Got, I'm glad you got to cut the ribbon. Uh, I will share one other story about that topic. Uh, I'll share kind of what I can about it because I don't want to get that person in trouble. But there was a former guest on this podcast who you know, 
And he was also very interested in what you were doing in, at, at University of Washington. And we put together like all these proposals internally at our, at our company to try to like support it, launch it, brand it, you know, for, for, for our company. So he, like this guy, I, I, you know who he is. I think you just hung out with him in New York, but he's been oh. following you for, for, for many years as well. So, um, okay. So what happened after you were done at the University of Washington? Yeah, so I was still trying to work in esports. I wasn't making any money during this time. I maybe joined like a few startups to try to get my foot into in the door. And eventually I I got a job. I got a contractor role at Twitch. Um, but even during this time, I was like, I'm I I decided to move to Los Angeles. I took a gap year. And then I ended up living with four other guys in a two-bedroom apartment in Playa Vista. And I was sleeping in the living room on a twin mattress to get started in esports because I knew that Playa Vista was central to LA, central enough where I don't have to commute an hour anywhere. And I got to meet everyone I needed to meet in, in esports by living in Playa Vista. At this time, I also had like $12,000 in student debt. So taking a gap year flags you for like for missing school from your financial aid. So like I was like, making bad decisions while I was like pursuing this thing. And then my boss uh, at that time, Garvey, lived in Malibu. So I had to go from Playa Vista to his house in Malibu. So I was making those commutes back and forth. Uh, so I started as a as a Twitch ambassador, two student ambassador. And I was like, and then, yeah, we were, I joined Twitch's new department that was focusing on building college esports around the world. I had no idea what I signed up for. It was kind of like this blank canvas that was like, hey, this collegiate esports is booming. Twitch wants to help see it grow. And I was like the first headcount. Technically, I was a contractor for the first year and a half before I converted full-time. Okay, let's. I want to hear more about this Twitch collegiate program. But before we get into that, what you just shared is... Like a like a common story you or you see in movies kind of right like hey you want to make it into a specific industry like yeah you know, some people want to make it into finance cool pack up your bags go to New York City uh, you want to get into entertainment pack up your bags move to L A like one way ticket no way back it yeah. didn't seem that hardcore for you but it sounded like that's what you did yeah full I, I I love that story because. Look, I'm not advocating that people just upend everything in their life and take major financial risks, but I didn't know this. I have noticed more often than not, the people who really go YOLO and all in, it somehow like it creates the quote unquote luck or the opportunities for their pursuit. So I think that's a badass story. And uh, yeah, tell us more about Twitch Collegiate. Yeah. So I joined in like 2016, 2017 and, um, during this time, there was a mass amount of interest from schools that were trying to build esports programs, um, especially with uh, UCI really setting the momentum, and then new schools were coming in. Uh, so Twitch Student was like, pretty much we were helping onboard a lot of these schools from zero to one, even like from helping them understand what for, even like Fortnite or League of Legends and like kind of demystifying the gaming like stereotypes to that was like the first year was like a lot of gaming stereotypes. A lot of the conversations were like dealing with a lot of ignorance and required a lot of patience. Right. And then like over the course of like two, three years, um, a lot of schools started really adopting and doing their homework around what this really means. Like they started looking at it as really entertainment. So all that time educating schools, created this ripple effect where other schools were sharing information with each other on how to build uh, these gaming esports programs. And it was a, it was a way for us to meet students where they are to help them get into the industry without having to move to Los Angeles as an example, right? It was like, how can you learn a bit while you're already on campus? If you don't have the opportunity to like go to the West coast, because you got like this job or, you know, made your, uh, got a foot in the door somewhere. So like, can school help make those early discovery phases better? Um, so that was kind of like my mission in doing all that. Um, the role was also global. So I was sponsoring like college esports tournaments around the world um, from Europe to Latin America to like Southeast Asia. And so that was like what got me to open my mind a bit. And really like, I was, at, I traveled like over like 20 countries when I was at Twitch and like, 
I really learned a lot about, you know, it's just, it was really cool to see esports in all these different regions. Like I never thought I would sign up for something like this, especially out of college. So I was very grateful for the role as well. So, okay. I want to dig into that a bit. Um, what is the most interesting or coolest to you country to visit and why? And what was the most interesting country you visited as it relates to collegiate esports? Yeah. So inter- most interesting country was like, I definitely really liked, um, I definitely really liked Istanbul, like Turkey and Istanbul. I had a lot of fun. Um, it was a different, it was like a huge culture shock. Cause it was like the cultures are vastly different from like Western Europe or like uh, Southeast Asia where I grew up, like where my family's from. So it was like a really cool, like, Oh wow. Like this is, uh, the food was completely different. The way the architecture is laid out was really different. The buildings were just so, and then like two, like buildings that exist, like trading bazaars that existed for thousands of years. That was like really, really cool to see. Uh, for the coolest collegiate scene, it was definitely Brazil um, and Sao Paulo. Like we had, they were like people, when people talk about like Brazil esports, people are like, yeah, the crowd is like super enthusiastic and they're really energetic but you got to go see it for yourself. Cause it was like, it was definitely like uh, an eye-opening experience watching like the Brazilian esports scene. That's a good point. You know, many people know already by now the South Korean esports scene. And I've, I knew this even back in when I used to work at Riot, but yeah. when I, when, when Riot paid for us to go to, I think it was like season three, season four uh, world championship, I think it was in Seoul and they flew the entire company out and yeah, like, I mean, being there is different than watching it, you know, on Twitch or on stream or, or like watch, reading a news article. It was, it yeah. was insane. And also, it was also kind of like a culture shock for me because, uh, I mean, yes, you know, America's super diverse, but you could see like entire nation of, of people who kind of like look, look like us. And then they were just treating esports with like so much respect and fandom. It was so weird but awesome and that's actually why i started my esports team when i went i was like oh my god like this is this is it i I gotta get in on this um okay so you did all this cool traveling you learned a lot about uh just different cultures and uh collegiate esports around the world um how did that lead you to uh a cat arena because i have to say when i first heard about it i was like man kevin's uh he's living his best life like he's just he's doing some cool slash weird Southeast Asian esports startup. I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So our, so Katarina, um, history about them. I, they were running the collegiate championships in the Philippines and like they were expanding to like other parts of Southeast Asia. It was started by, uh, Ariane and Justin, um, back in like late 2019. Um, I sponsored them when I was at Twitch. Uh, so I got to see them in their big highlight moments. Um, but I was always fascinated about Southeast Asian collegiate esports. So when I was touring around Vietnam and like Philippines, I got to see um, a bit of the scene there and I really like fell in love with it. And then I also wanted to also go back to my culture, like of like my roots in Southeast Asia. So I was like, well, I think what I'm going to do after Twitch was I like, kind of focus my attention on esports in Southeast Asia gaming, gaming and esports in Southeast Asia. Um, so I left Twitch in April, uh, of 2021. And then, um, I joined Ekaterina in, in July and that was when we were just fit. We just raised our pre-seed round with iterative, which is a YC esque, uh, accelerator in Singapore. Um, that, and basically, um, the company's mission is to really bring millions of students into web three through gaming. And I think with that, it was something that we're, we've been kind of like been hitting the ground running since we joined the accelerator. I think like that, that really got us like, it's been, it's been a crazy like six months after leaving Twitch. And I can't believe it's only been like six months leaving Twitch. Um, I mean, I should have taken a break. Um, after like four years of the seven years of this grind, but I like did not take a break. So I was like a big mess, mess up on my part. Definitely. Like it's been, it's been nonstop. I always say that I'm always like, mm, I shouldn't have started a job uh, or any of the job and started a job on you know Friday and then Monday, but I always yeah. end up doing it. Um, and I hate myself for it. Okay. So you just said a lot of stuff. You said bring students into web three gaming. 
Yeah. Uh, what is Web3? What is Web3 gaming? What is play to earn? Yeah, so um, play to earn has like really blew up this year uh, because of this game called Axie Infinity. Um, <clears throat> Axie Infinity is like this 1v1 card game, but in instead of building a deck, your deck is like owning three like axes, which looks like Neopets. And then each axie can be bred like seven times. And but basically what's going on is like people are playing this game and if you win, you can earn cryptocurrency called Smooth Love Potion, which is SLP. And it's around like and it's a wave where um people can use SLP to breed more axes because each axie can only be bred seven times. So in order to build the ecosystem, you need to keep breeding. Um, play to earn really blew up during, uh, during the pandemic when people are stuck at home and needed to find a different source of income. And with play to earn, it's like this, universe gaming is like now that we all know that gaming is a universal language and like people around the world have access to the internet and with their phone, it's, it's like a match made in heaven for like people to play this video game, earn cryptocurrencies and sell it that cryptocurrencies to earn some sort of living. What's exciting about Southeast Asia particularly is that people are earning more than full-time minimum wage by playing Axie part-time. Um, they did Axie Infinity to this, to this day has earned over $2 billion in revenue this year alone in terms of transactions. Um, at Sky Mavis, the company that owns Axie Infinity, just finished their Series B round led by A16Z. Uh, I think it was like a $184 million round, which is like incredibly insane. It kind of and that will like put play to earn on the map. Um, and you're also seeing companies called guilds now. Guilds are being formed um, to buy assets in these games uh, to basically imagine like owning a piece of League of Legends, RuneScape, or World of Warcraft and getting the bits of that economic opportunity growing up, which has been insane because I played a ton of these games. Um, but what made this even crazier was this uh this like revenue sharing model when it comes to axie and what that means is like um guilds are buying these axes at like 800 to a thousand dollars per axie team and lending it out to people in the philippines or venezuela or especially in these developing nations and the and giving the players the account so they can play every single day um, and then the guild takes a kickback on the currency that's earned every single day from these players. And with this revenue share model, uh, guilds can benefit for buying axes and then giving it out to players so that players can also earn at the same time. So for the Katarina, we pivoted the company to incorporate play to earn as part of our mission to help, you know, really build the campus gaming initiative, build our campus gaming programs. So we launched our like play to grad. We call it play to grad, where like we use Axie Infinity for to get students a scholarship to to give students Axie accounts so they can play Axie so they can graduate school and pay tuition, which is freaking insane right now. Okay, hold on. It's, it's like it's a whole like crazy rabbit hole that I went down in like the last forty five days. I'm happy okay. to break it all through. Yeah, yeah, no, let's break it down. But but first thing, I think um, you said so you're gonna give like a traditional scholarship to like like money for college students graduate right but there's also the other concept of scholar scholars yeah i don't know why the community calls it this but the axie okay. infinity community wanted to clarify axie infinity also calls giving out axes to another person and doing a rev share model a scholarship as well that's an internal slang in the community that was being developed but yeah so we have to differentiate between a regular tuition scholarship and like an axie infinity scholarship okay on that topic, can you explain how, what is the mechanism? Like, how can I give you my, uh, my axes? How do I lend you my axes? Or yeah, my that, that part, this, when I found out how this works, it blew my mind. Okay. So your axes live on your master Ronin wallet. So the Sky Mavis, the company made their own wallet called the Ronin. So it's got MetaMask, but for, for the Axie ecosystem. So you have this centralized Ronin wallet. You can make sub wallets that you can then send the teams into. So let's say like I made account zero and I have like three axes and I want to give you axes. So I'd make a sub wallet called like sub wallet one and I send the three axes to sub wallet one. 
and I go, Hey, uh, and each sub wallet has a game account. So it's like, you know, regular email password, right? I give you the email password, but the only thing you can do on that, John, is that you can only play Axie Infinity. You cannot sell the Axies, even though they're on your account, you don't have access to the master wallet. So the game assets and the game account are separated, which is like weird because like usually when you log into like World of Warcraft, you know, those are your assets on your account, but the wallet and the game accounts are two separate areas, which is like insane. Okay. You already blew my mind. Okay. But now going, I want to go back to the Ekaterina tuition scholarships. So what's the concept there and how does that tie the axes infinity? Yeah. So, um, we were already talking to a few schools, the universities in the Philippines to accept SLP, the currency farm and axi to accept SLP as tuition. Um, so that's happening. It's uh, so we're in three. I'm teasing you this, but we're talking to three schools right now. And so it's interesting because in the Philippines, they're accepting SLP as currency across like stores. You can go to a store and buy the groceries with SLP, not pesos, SLP. So, okay. So, 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 so let me get this straight. So uh, you farm this internet, you, 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 farm, you farm this like game love money. potions, and yeah. now you have convinced. You're in the process of convincing a couple of universities to accept smooth love potions. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. To, to pay for tuition. Yeah, because when we're talking to these schools too, the school directors also have their own Axie Guild, which is hilarious. They have like they have their own Axie, they have their own Axie teams. They have their own scholars, which plays for them, and they do the ref share model together. So people are hus- side hustling everywhere. And then they all get it. So, and then Axie just launched their own uh, mobile Ronin mobile wallet as well. So the payments are so fast now. And there's no gas fees on top of this because it's layer two. It's in their own ecosystem. So you're not paying like the Ethereum gas fees for doing this. Is, is layer two, um, is this the same announcement they did with, um, is it called Immutable? Uh, not not with Immutable, but it's similar. But Axie Immutable, has their own ecosystem. Yeah, Immutable. Yeah. Immutable was um Ember. Ember, Ember Sword. Sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you are you involved in Ember Sword as well? That's the game I actually really want to play because it's made by the one of the best guild guilds in World of Warcraft during Wrath of the Lich King. It was called like his guild was called like oh, I forgot his guild name Insidious. Insidious oh, Guild, very was like a top one. It was like a top three WoW Guild back in the day. So it was actually made by a hardcore MMO player. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. so all right, so you're your co-founder, co-CEO of Academy Um, You guys provide uh, scholarship tuition scholarships for uh, <laughs> students in Southeast Asia. Um, as I don't know, if this is part of Academy or your side thing. On the side, are you also like leading a guild yeah so Ekaterina is also that guild now uh so the guild business model that's emerged uh kind of like emerged out of web3 was like um players uh so guilds that are like guilds like me raising venture capital can now like buy into these ecosystem especially there's like now over like 200 crypto games being made already like the next so many games are being launched so guilds become an amazing games marketing engine for these new crypto games and then two is like some of these companies these these games are building with guild infrastructure in mind so that that revenue sharing model they're working they're designing their games to allow guilds to own like guild assets which is crazy you know how like you have like a guild in like world of warcraft you get those buffs those perma buffs are like you know 10 percent extra exp for being a guild so they're kind of creating similar systems before. And then we're helping games like acquire users, you know, get users into their ecosystem, play their games, um, using that as a way to get more students to make part-time, like make a part-time income through this. Okay, on this topic, um, I want to ask about going back to, I mean, we're jumping around a lot, but going back to Axis, um, what are, what is land? And items and what are items in axes? Yeah, so land is like uh land has been teased for like a year now. Uh, land gameplay is coming out probably next year. It's kind of been speculating, but like you, there's like a giant that's like it's lands is also an NFT in itself where like 
if you own that piece of land, you're the only one that can own a piece of land. And apparently, like, they want to create customizable games on land. So, like, other people can make games on top of the Axie land. I think, like, maybe, like, Roblox-esque. I'm not sure how this works. But, like, if you buy land, you can earn AXS tokens, SLP, and other benefits when when people kill stuff on your land and stuff. So, you get yield off of that gameplay. I'm not sure. We don't own that much land right now, but we want to. But it's been like it's like fifteen thousand dollars for the lowest piece of land, and it's like, do I really want to make this investment right now? Not yet, but like it's, 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 it's something they've been teasing for like for the last for the last year. Okay, what about what about items? The items give you Axie's power ups when they battle on those lands. So not only do you have to like up buy the land, you have to buy the upgrades for your land so that your land becomes a favorable like farming spot. It sounds like I don't know. They haven't released anything about it. Okay, so let me get this straight. Once this all once this all plays out, it'll be something along the lines of some people can own land, um, and you can improve your land with items, and uh, other players can compete on your land, and that generates potentially maybe or is a guarantee. But it generates maybe SLPs, of which. The landowner gets some, and then the, yeah. the winner of the game gets some. Yeah, exactly. So some sort of like split between like landowners and people that farm on the land. So it's like, it. I, I look at it as like uh, a real. I think it's like what's going on is like our, what what's going on overall. Like if you take a thirty thousand step back, right? Over the course of like last like fifteen years, our digital identity has become increasingly more important. Especially like with games like League of Legends, Fortnite, that pioneered like skins, and what we wear in these games matter, and what we own in these games matter. And I think like I made the biggest. Like, it was like one of my. Like, we all when we all started playing League of Legends, we all were like, "No way, I'm buying the skin." Then like here I am spending like four thousand dollars my ten years of playing League. You know, I have like a lot of skins in League now because it matters to me. Or like my, now with Valorant and all these other collabs, right? Um, because of this, and another game I played was back in 2012, I played this sandbox MMO where I owned like this house in Arcage. Um, I was the only one that can own this house. And I had four guilds bidding for that house when I was trying to quit. And I actually bankrupted them where I, they like bid like so high and that I was able to fund all my friends that were still playing. And it's because of this idea of like, we find a lot of value in in what we spend our and we find value in whatever we spend our time on right whether it's sports inner like gaming or whatever um gaming now has been able to scale infinitely because the 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 worlds that we get to be in is now like almost infinite in terms of like the different types of worlds that get to be built that's hence that's why there's over 200 crypto games being built now um i think what's cool about this is like the players it actually gets to own pieces of the ecosystem versus where you know in other game and like before this it was kind of like i can't really do much with my league of legends account other than play and like say i have fun like after like 10 years now like these these ecosystems are coming out that are like wow like people are buying their family's groceries through this people are paying tuition while also having fun and I think what's going on now is like, I think people are trying to compare like play to earn games to like AAA games right now. But I look at it as if you look at it from the other lens, it's like, I think play to earn really just needs to be better than the lowest denominator jobs. I think like the gig economy and like the early entry jobs that are like very hard to do uh, will be replaced by play to earn stuff. Two is like, if you're in an economy where it's not thriving, like, Los Angeles, where it's like, you know, I don't, not everyone has access to like West Coast tech industry. Um, you know, having a phone and being able to tap a global economy through a video game, I think video game is just like this universal language that makes cryptocurrency adoptable. Um, it's just like a perfect match made in heaven. Because so I think like you can talk a lot about, about DeFi, staking, which token to flip or which NFT to buy. But I think with gaming, it has so much more staying power. 
how, like, in the grand scheme of things, since this whole concept of guilds started, I don't know, like, maybe it was more popularized this year, how many, like, in the, in the scale of things, like, what rank is your guild, or how, how do you know which guilds are bigger than, than others? Yeah, it's, like, that's not, that information's not out yet, in terms of, like, it's very hard to track, because, like, it's kind of like when, you know, when League started up, and everyone yeah. had to, like, where, where was their last, like, they have their, like, Axie has their own leaderboard, but it's not like this open API where you can like look up my rank as a player, right? Um, so that's not out yet. Uh, that's why these new games that are coming out are developing a lot more developer APIs so that third-party companies can come make like the next U.GG or like all these other third-party resources and stuff. But right now it's kind of like all over the place. And there's really only like five to like eight guilds that are like making all these big investments into these games right now. It's like, Guild Guild Games, Yield Guild Games Southeast Asia, which is their sub DAO, Yushi, Merit Circle, all these new upcomers that are like not the big esports brands actually, but all these companies that came from these developing nations because they had like they were like they did it out of necessity. In the grand scheme of things, are you guys like a top fifty guild or like maybe regionally? Like where, where are you? Yeah, I think we'll be top twenty five by Q one, and I want to be top ten. That's like the ambition. What 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 helps you get there? Like, what do you what do you have to do as a kill? Do you just recruit people? It's like it's like the that's like the really important question, right? It's like you know, so right now, like a lot of guilds are formed and people come apply to the guild because of the Axie scholarship, right? Where the they only come and stay for the play to earn side. What makes us really cool is that the Ekaterina experience is a holistic student experience where. You make you get to find your gaming club on campus. You are supported in your journey as a student that's enjoy that who enjoys gaming. So you're not just like someone just farming SLP all day. There's like a community around you that is like you can play in the our Valorant championships. You can join our your gaming club. You can do all these activities. We also give not like regular scholarships. So we do a lot, and we also do our own events that are like that we able to mobilize our community very fast. So it's like what we want to work on is like, how do we make play to earn part of our ecosystem uh, and get students from zero to one? Cause I think like what's important is like differentiating that experience. Right. Cause at the end of the day, it's like guilds go from like players go from like, which guild gives them more revenue share. Right. If I, if I'm giving like 60, 40, another guild set gives 70, 30, they're going to take the 70, 30. So it's like, what is the draw of like me? Like, so how do we differentiate from guild to guild? And I think our, cornerstone with like 300 schools 100,000 students in our network is like a good differentiating point uh so i think with yeah so i think those are like what we like what we know is important but we haven't taken the time to like really flesh out that zero to one experience yet and i think that's like what's the next six months going to be like for us let's say i want to get involved um and i don't need a scholarship i'll go buy my own three axes is there any benefit for me to join let's say a different guild just so like i'm not playing by myself like is yeah. there a guild element where like i it's not about the money but just more about like interaction exactly so like we do like like we do like anime nights so you can like play and like watch anime you can like you know do activities on discord with other people that you want to talk to um there's other stuff where like people want to talk about other games together so like having good dialogues and discourse around other games so that you're not just a, you're not just like you can't participate in the guild unless you have a scholarship like we want other types of people to join and be part of that community so there are guilds like that where you can join those types of discourse and have those conversations so yeah i think that that, that does work and it's it's yeah, there's communities like that exist. Okay, but but mechanically, how does it work? Like, at least, you know, when I'm in a WoW guild, you know how it works. Like, there's actually, like, a guild interface. I'm in the WoW guild. Let's say, I, once again, I don't need scholarships. Let's say I want to join your guild. Like, is it, like, am I, is there a way to officially be part of it? Or I'm just, like, in your Discord and I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a good question, because that's the other thing that we're trying to ideate. It was, like, do we use nfts and our own tokens to build something called in guild achievements so that we can map your player data like your player experience through being in our guild and earn rewards by being like let's say you hit gold in league of legends can we reward you in something 
that's not just about play to earn, but like maybe a way to m- memorialize you being in our guild and celebrating this moment of a season end thing. That's a good like, idea. Yeah. So like, what are those experiences look like that makes you feel like you're part of something much bigger than yourself versus like, I'm just here, like being in a discord server and I get, I'm lost in the noise of like over 10,000 people. It, it, so, so I get the play to earn part, but for, for these games could be axes, could be any other games. Is there even, we didn't talk about this yet. Is, is there like just really good players? Does that exist? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the WoW guild, right? When you say yeah. top three WoW guilds, like they were, it was because they would get the raids first. They would beat the raids. So are there, are there any top guilds that are not purely, I don't know what the term is, like yield focus. And it's more about like just winning. Yeah, yeah. There's like one guild that I was talking to. This name is like Meditate. And like, um, they try to, get as many as many players into the top 2000. So every month uh they run like Hearthstone type seasons where it's like every month where um Axie gives out like $400,000 in cash prizes and in, in in AXS tokens for top 2000 players. So they built their identity around placing in the top 500, top 1000, top 2000. So those are some guilds that are being formed on like trying to master Axie Infinity and play at the highest of levels. There's some guilds that are just like more casual they want to just have fun hang out do art contests watch anime build a comfy vibe you know there's different types of themes right wow Wow. i mean you mentioned 500 things which i okay uh maybe two more questions so as you were talking about this you also mentioned uh dao what's a dao yeah it's a decentralized autonomous organization so that's like the full name of it and a dao is like a way for people to to really have the community own a piece of the ecosystem that they're part of, usually through um, either through voting for new policies, new programs, and it usually requires you to own either a certain amount of tokens or an NFT um, to to partake in these things. Um, I think like for us, if we like we we are like there's some really cool applications of DAOs so far, especially in crypto games. So it's like, you know, we can put things up to a vote of like, okay, like how much of our treasury is going to go into supporting which three games do you want to expand to? Is it Ember Sword? Is it, you know, big time? Is it, you know, whatever, right? So community gets to vote on it based on how much token allocation they have. So it's like, it's interesting. Um, and it's like a new way for big organizations to like make decisions together. There's like, <clears throat> we're looking into if we want to do our DAO or not. We're kind of like, yes and no on both sides. Cause like, we're not sure if like, how much is a DAO like, it like controls our like operation side because we have a lot of IP. We're building like tools, tech. Like, we don't want to get slowed down by DAOs in terms of like more red tapes, more voting and that stuff because we want to build. Um, but, that's like well, those are some of the early mistakes of DAOs. Like it was too decentralized, where like every little decision had to be voted on, and like DAOs would just die because of that. Now, like this year of DAO was like more like they kind of nominate the like the founders of the DAO or like the leaders of the DAO, and they get to like have the most votes up until like usually a four to five year cliff until the DAO is fully like decentralized. But the first four or five years of the DAO, it's usually like still company led. So it's kind of a weird mix that I'm still like very new to. I've only jumped into this space in the guild side for like 45 days now and just been like absorbing a lot of like, and crypto is like a full-time like thing in itself. So trying to gather as much information as possible. What I've noticed was like, you want to give a lot of like the voting for like, you know how like RuneScape, actually RuneScape is a good example of this. RuneScape, you can vote on membership benefits every like three months or every season. So you get to vote on like the top 10 new features or something. And then like Jagex would build it. Um, so it's kind of like those things, but it wouldn't mess with the overall game of like RuneScape. It was more like what are the next season benefits will be or whatever. So it's like, what is that balance? So we're not, we're not sure yet. The answer is like, I don't know enough about it. Okay. So full circle back to where we started was you moved to LA to get into collegiate esports or just gaming slash esports. Are you, I heard you were playing, are you moving anytime soon and where are you moving and why? 
yeah, I want to move to Southeast Asia because it's we have like 20 full-time staff there now and like I got to be there with them and and not work and be disconnected. Um so I also like it it sounds like another one of those full send stories of like you know, it sounds like another epic adventure. Why not why not do it before well, before and, I turn like 30? And I was and I was looking at some of the stats and they were saying as far as Axis goes and there's multiple games of course. Um, like the, the majority of players, I'm not saying 51%, I'm just saying the majority of one country, the players are from Southeast Asia. Yeah, it's like 43% of all Axie players are from Southeast Asia. Yeah, that's crazy. And I heard like 20% alone was from like the Philippines. So, so that's yeah. Wild. And then like 23% of all Axie players don't have a bank account. Wow. That's, in, wow. that's actually insane. Which, right? which is, which is why I feel like, wow, you know, you know how Coinbase and um, all these uh, exchanges are, are sponsoring like, TSM and, and Team Liquid. I mean, next stop is just uh, sponsoring these guilds. I think. Yeah, because like we like, it's interesting because we get to what's really fascinating about this guild model is that we get to own our own ecosystem, and because esports was so heavily reliant on sponsorship revenue, right? In order for the company to like do well, you either go creator creator mode, where you have to like sign creators and do like and secure BD for them and do like a revenue share for them. Or to secure sponsorship deals. I could be totally wrong, but I'm like I've never worked on an esports team, so this could be like pure ignorance. Or it's like, um, yeah, and it just seems like this, you don't get to. If I can just monetize with the game's health, that makes it a lot better. Um, and you've seen this with like Dota, where like they crowdfunded every year the TI, where like the community gets to build this amazing reward system. Axie's the same way in like all these other games. It's like. Well, I get to be in control of my own company, like even more now, versus like begging for money all the time. You're you're spot on. So what I've noticed a lot at all these game studios is that uh, some companies try to treat esports like it's independent PL, but most companies treat it as like an as an expense. But in reality, it's something in between. So uh, you know, let's say LCS. I think LCS, the model they're trying to take is that it is an individual PL. But in reality, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do believe they get some portion of the revenues of even non esports skins. For esports skins, yeah, they should get most or all the revenue. Um, but even for non esports things that are somehow attributed or related to uh, an esports event or timeline, I think they count the revenues for that too. So, Okay, I, I lied. I actually do have one more question. So we, we started this whole talk about collegiate esports, and and I was very passionate and interested in this space too a couple of years ago. I've kind of since fell out of it, and my perception as more of like a passive uh, bystander is that it looks like collegiate esports is like feels kind of dead. I don't know. Like, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yeah, it's it? good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hundred percent. Like, uh, yeah, I, that's actually why it kind of like left too i felt like i was fighting this like isolated journey and then like i think people were like i think what happened was like a couple of things it was like one there's like the standard was pitched too low the commitment that the school needed to put in was like too low um two was like there's a lot of like infighting a lot of like infighting between different orgs a lot of program directors like there's a lot of like it's very clicky, very a lot of red tape now. It doesn't feel student led anymore, which is like my detriment because I helped I helped move this thing to that way, thinking it was it was a different outcome. It was interesting, and then like and at the same time, like I think what's happening is like what my thesis on after like a few years of doing of doing this at Twitch was like why should I was like why don't we just focus on students directly and not deal with the red tapes of schools, which is what we're doing now in Ekaterina. Um, because the world's decentralized. A lot of what happened in college esports was like college esports people, the decision makers that came in later, where a lot of them were sports background. And I think I hate seeing this in esports where like a lot of people in sports come in and they try to make it like this centralized television style broadcasting and the strategy but they totally forgot to incorporate the creator economy when it comes to like building their brand. Why would, why would I watch? Okay. The thing is like, people think that people thought that like 
people would watch college esports like they would with college basketball or college football. But I always said no to that thinking because you have so many choices in terms of like what's to watch right now, let alone whatever's on Twitch, right? But like on YouTube, on Netflix, you're comb- you're battling for so much attention. But, but if you just look at the esports content in general, esports is on seven days a week now. The top tournaments are on every single week. Right? Like, why would I watch this thing when I can watch pro play? And I also think about when we think about identity, and it goes back to my sentiment on like, our digital identities matter way more than before than our physical. And I think like our tie-ins with our schools and our location matters way less now. It's more interest-based. It's more like, what are you a K-pop stan? Are you a, you watch anime or you like play League of Legends or you play, watch Valorant or you watch these streamers? So it's like kind of like, People are ha- hanging out in these micro pods of Discord. Before and be, be, like before the internet and all, before like mainstream internet, like social media internet, like Web two blew off. Right, you still had to, when you left for college, you had to like make friends at your college. You couldn't bring your friends with you. But now, like kids go to college and they still bring their they bring their they're just playing on League of Legends with their friends on Discord or Fortnite or whatever. So they don't really get to like, so they have more choices in what's out there. So for a school to try to capture this college esports thing, they're using traditional marketing channels that are like not that effective and it's not compelling. Those are like my two cents of what's like why I think there's this like this dead energy because I think the the people that came in um, had the wrong focus. Well, great. Well, uh, we covered a lot. I certainly got a lot to think about today. Uh, but, but Kevin, thank you. But do you, you agree with that? Or do you agree with that? Is like to an extent, or like it was like a, that was like a hypothesis I had. It was like, you know, if you look at like centralized, like there was a there was an esports company that was trying to do a twenty four seven media, twenty four seven like MTV of esports. It was like those aggregate channels, Ven, Ven. TV or something. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was Ven. And yeah, it was Ven. It was like, it was good ideas, right? Like, these are like, why are these like traditional methods like not fully working? And it's like, oh, I think it's, I think it's because there's the creator economy is so strong. Like, Valkyrie is on all the time, courage to like all these top streamers that are like way, way more interesting than like so, these so other So, methods. your point, so is your question, why are the kind of, why, why is trying to bring in traditional media and, and sports model not, uh, not working? And that's why I don't, and that's part of the reason why I think the, it didn't work in college esports. Because, because they were trying to make it the collegiate version. <clears throat> Actually, yes, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I think, okay, I mean, I've got some intel on this, which is, when, okay, what does this all boil down to, right? So it boils down to the people hired. Okay, well, who hires these people? Well, it's, they're usually super senior. So uh, like top 10 of a company, C-suite or, or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. okay, then I ask myself, why are they thinking this way? And I think based on my knowledge of them, not little, but not a lot like medium level knowledge is that once you are, once your company is like steady state, kind of like a riot or blizzard is probably like late stage for mature company. You're not optimizing for, uh, let's just say like crazy adventure, new things, innovation, kind of like what you're doing, like a startup. And, and this is why I think startups exist because by the nature, even though like riot is doing super great with arcane, all these things that come out in the grand scheme of things, it does seem like slower and like older, right? And yeah, blizzard, yeah. Is like falling apart essentially. Like it, it might be dead in a couple of years. Who knows? Given 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 this given this rate, and I think it's because the managers of those companies are are managing to reduce risk, but at the cost of like minimal innovation. Yeah. Anyways, it's not risky to hire a VP from NFL, right? It's not risky to hire a VP from ESPN. If anything, I think the issue is. A lot of the senior people at game companies, when you think about it, like in the grand scheme of things, this is going to sound weird. I feel like we are comfortable in our own skins and where esports and gaming is at, right? Like to some degree, you, you had to fight against that at University of Washington. I, I understand that, but then you won that battle. I think the, the previous generations before us 
they grew up in the world where gaming was still like for nerds. Yeah. So for them, it's more of an allure to say that I am on ESPN. Because first of all, I bet you, you and I, we didn't watch ESPN, but the, but the, the CEOs of these companies, if they're like 10, 15 years older than us, they, they do. So they're trying to kind of like validate their successful jobs with this, I don't know, with, with, with what they were doing in traditional media and sports. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I think that's what, for lack of, I think like, you know, just to be a little more contra- uh, controversial, I think that's what killed uh, the budding light uh, of collegiate esports. On the other hand, I did like some of those uh, tournaments because I feel like, wow, like we're really taking it to the next level. And that was cool. I think it just takes time for this ecosystem to build. You can't just have like one or two world championships and then give up, give up on it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, yeah, because I think it was like, it was, those are all like very validating points because I was like kind of seeing it from, they were, they were like taking their like, val- like what they think is like, that would validate the space more based on how they grew up. And it's kind of like those biases that like kicks in. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's why it was like seeing like now like LCS, you can like, there's a lot of co-streaming now, right. With Twitch rivals and like, you know, they've le- like using like leveraging like creators to kind of like help push these things. Right. And I think that they'd be able to let go and like quote unquote decentralize the broadcast has always helped now. So it's like these little micro changes. I mean, now Riot's even doing that, right? With co-streaming and now like and taking a page out of like the Twitch Rivals playbook, right? So it's like all these things are like, huh, I think this is the reason why college esports kind of ran out of steam. But yeah, it was like, we didn't talk about that very much all day, but it's yeah. kind of, yeah. All right, well, uh, let's wrap it up. Thanks again, Kevin. Um, I learned a lot from you today. So thanks for stopping by. Yeah, no, thanks, Sean.